Hi there, this is Tom Mess. I'm the author of the book Iron Man, the cinema of Shinya Tsukamoto. And uh, this is Bullet Ballet. Uh, a very intense uh, gut punch of a film, I think. First time I ever saw this film, um, I think it was in 19, early 99 or late 98, at a film festival. And I was sitting in the first row. Um, it was not such a big theater, so the screen was not huge multiplex size, but I was about five feet away from it. So with a film of this style, um, you're absolutely inside the movie. <laughs> and every time, every single time I've watched this film since then, even um, even on DVD on a small screen, uh, the film really is, has kept the same impact for me. It continues to be uh, quite an intense experience every single time I watch it. Bullet Ballet was shot in uh, 1997. Uh, had its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival the, the year after. Uh, it didn't actually open in Japan until early 2000. Uh, actually coming out after the film that Tsukamoto made after this, uh, Gemini. Uh, at which point it had already been playing uh, quite widely at international film festivals uh, for the 18 months before that. This is actually quite a uh, com common strategy for Japanese films of, uh, of late, to first try and get some, some acclaim at foreign film festivals before you release the film uh, at home in Japan. Uh, simply because uh, getting prizes and awards and good reviews abroad can uh, help uh, the box office back home. It's been a quite a common strategy, as I said, uh, for Japanese film, especially in the late, late 90s. Um, from 1997 onwards, say, because uh, 1997 was a big watershed year for Japanese cinema since uh, that year. It won two major prizes uh, at film festivals. Uh, Shohei Imamura's The Eel uh, won the Palme d'Or in Cannes in 1997. And uh, later the same year, uh, Takeshi Kitano's Hanabi, or Fireworks, won the Golden Lion in Venice. But uh, another re another reason for uh, for the long time it takes for Tsukamoto's films to be released in uh, in Japan is simply the fact that Tsukamoto takes a long time to make them. Um, he is a totally independent filmmaker in the true true sense of the word. Uh, he's a guy who uh, nurtures his own projects, does not work with outside producers for the most part, goes looking for uh, his own his own financing. And generally, also, he takes a long time to shoot a film. Uh, it's, it's not rare for him to, to take six months on the, on the shooting of a single film. And he's a man who likes to take care of, uh, of all aspects of filmmaking, from, from the first idea up to uh, even the release and the, the, the marketing. He's involved with the poster designs, etc. He says that even he takes care and figures out where in the city to hang up all these posters for the film. So he is a, a truly an independent filmmaker. All these very candid street shots are uh, typical of the style of the film. Hi. 
which uh, looks like it was shot wild, uh, you know, guerrilla style in the streets, but uh, actually uh, Tsukamoto told me that he got permission for uh, the majority of the scenes that he shot, so official perm uh, permission from the authorities. That's actually quite an unusual approach for, uh, for a lot of Japanese filmmakers, uh, since the majority of Japanese films, uh, especially the non-independent ones, are shot uh, on very tight schedules, say two to three weeks. Uh, the filmmakers and the, and the production company simply don't simply don't bother to to ask for permission. I mean, uh, Takashi Miki is a typical example of that. He says he doesn't bother to ask him for permission because it's it's simply a restraint for him. Uh, he's not able to. Uh, uh, improvise on the set if he wants to do something slightly different from what was planned, it's not possible, etc. And you can really tell from the, from the films that Mike makes that uh, he has shot a lot of these, those things wild in the streets, which uh, add a great air of authenticity to them. Uh, a few good examples are uh, two of the films from his Black Society trilogy, Shinjuku Triad Society and Ley Lines in particular which you can also get uh, on DVD from Arts Magic. But in Tsukamoto's case, since he takes so long, several months to shoot a film, uh, that's those restrictions are not such a big problem. He can take a longer time to, to plan everything ahead and uh, to really cooperate with the authorities. So the filming style of uh, Bullet Ballet is like it was sh it looks like it was shown well. It has a very documentary touch to it, uh, especially all these uh, street scenes set in uh, uh, in alleyways and, and back streets, etc. It really creates the uh, impression of your your sort of descending into the underbelly of Tokyo. Uh, I think for both the viewer and for the for the main character played by Tsukamoto himself, it's a kind of discovery of a, a side of the, the city of Tokyo besides the, the one that's well known, the, the, the side of you know the, the glitz and the high office buildings, etc., and the neon. In Bullet Ballet, you get to see what's what's behind that surface. So. A very large part of the film is set in all these these back streets and alleyways. This particular scene where uh, Tsukamoto's character is beaten up by a gang of young punks, uh, who will be recurring characters throughout the film, is actually quite close to the incident that inspired uh, Bullet Ballet. Tsukamoto himself was actually once uh, assaulted by uh, a gang of punks outside uh, a train station close to his office. <laughs> and that was uh, that that incident was the trigger for him to uh, to make bullet ballet in this particular way that he did. That incident happened in the uh, the area of Tokyo that's uh, known as Ikebukuro which is uh, one of the uh, centers of uh, youth culture in, uh, in Tokyo, which in recent years has, has, quite, has had quite a few problems with, uh, with youth gangs 
and the juvenile delinquents. There was a TV series made about two years after Bullet Ballet, which was called Ikebukuro Westgate Park, which also dealt with, uh, with the same subject, though in a slightly more uh, glitzy, stylish fashion, and not quite as raw and authentic feeling uh, as, as Tsukamoto's film. In this scene, we learn that uh, Tsukamoto's character, uh, Goda, is uh, an advertising executive, which is an interesting touch because Tsukamoto himself used to uh, work for an ad agency as a director of TV commercials. For most of his adult life, he's been uh, uh, working as an independent filmmaker, but for four years after he got out of university, he uh, he had a regular job at a, as I said, as an at an ad agency working as a director of TV commercials. He says that to him, uh, that is his only experience of uh, living in uh, what he calls the real world, the world of uh, office, office work, etc. So that's why he decided to give this character the same job. The guy he's talking to here, the uh, gentleman on the left, is uh, not an actor, but it's, uh, he's no, in normal life he's also a filmmaker. His name is Kazuyuki Izutsu, who is the director of the very first episode of the uh, Young Thugs series. Uh, episodes 2 and 3 uh, from that series were also released by Ice Magic. They were both directed by Takashi Miike. This is the man who uh, directed the original episode. Izutsu started out as a director of uh, softcore erotic films, uh, what they call pink films in Japan, um, back in the mid-70s. But he's gone on to uh, make a wide variety of films and uh, doing it with a very peculiar and personal style. Izutsu is from uh, the area Kansai, which is around the city of Osaka, somewhat uh, more in the west side of uh, Japan's main island of Honshu. So he speaks with that very particular accent from, uh, from the area of Osaka. Very thick accent, which is often in Japan associated more with uh, tough guys and delinquents. So he's a good choice for the role. That scene you just saw with the exchange of uh, money and merchandise is one good example of a, a scene that was shot wild in uh, just uh, by taking a camera somewhere to the location and not asking really for permission. It was shot at the train station, uh, Gotanda station, um, which is a, a station that has a, a bridge, an elevated walkway, walking, uh, running parallel to it, which is a, a, a passage for uh, pedestrians to, to cross uh, quite a busy uh, traffic crossing. And that bridge is on the same level as the uh, as the train station platform. So they put a, uh, a, a camera on the platform. Then uh, Tsukamoto and Izutsu went onto the uh, onto the platform, and as far as everybody on the platform, they were just waiting for the train. But actually, they were shooting that particular scene from the bridge, 
to the platform. This particular scene is quite important, especially the dialogue that, uh, that we just heard. Which, um, a dialogue which contrasts uh, the situation of today's youth with that of uh, their, their parents' generation when they were young. Uh, which is to say, uh, growing up right after World War II in the, uh, in the ruins of Tokyo, right after the war. That is not just an old man's nostalgia, but actually uh, it is something that is very central to Tsukamoto's filmmaking. In almost every film he's made, he he talks about the fact that our lives these days in the, in the big cities are very sterile. Uh, we don't have any true sensations of our, of our bodies and true sensation of emotions and feelings anymore. Uh, we get up early, we get on the train, and we work until late, and then we go back and then we sleep. And those are our lives. So we are also we are not confronted with with physicality. We are also in the city not uh, confronted with uh, with death, in a sense. Um, in his previous film Tokyo Fist, there was a good example where uh, he had a, a shot of a, a dead cat in an alleyway. And a few shots later, uh, he got went back to that location, and the, the cat was uh, was gone. And he says that that's very typical of uh, life in Tokyo. All those signs of decay are uh, are removed very very quickly before people are actually confronted with it. So in that in this particular film also, that's uh, that's going to play quite a quite a large role, especially later on. Where the character of the uh, the boxer, the young boxer's father, uh, will come back to haunt uh, the protagonists. Here is where we get to see Goda developing his fascination for guns, particularly the uh, the thirty-eight special, which uh, his girlfriend used to commit suicide with. He chose one of the reasons he chose to film this uh, film in black and white is because he felt it reflected the uh, uh, surface, the chrome surface of a of a handgun. That's actually somewhat similar to the black and white he used on his uh, uh, most internationally uh, well-known film, Tetsuo the Iron Man. For which he said he chose black and white because he wanted it uh, to be like the surface of metal. That's a, those are two good examples of his philosophy towards uh, the use of color in his films. Uh, he always wants it. Uh, the, he always makes the choice of color depend on uh, the subject he wants to express or one of the one of the, the central themes of the film. On Tetsuo 2, the most of the color was very, uh, very bluish, um, which he said was a as a kind of sign of the uh, a reflection of uh, the the sheen of the surface of the office block office towers in uh, in Tokyo. For Tokyo Fist, it was very reddish, orangish, um, which was meant to reflect uh, the bruises and blood, which uh, boxers carry on their faces when they when they have a match
also here in Bullet Ballet he's back again to black and white uh, as I said to uh, as a reference to uh, the metal surface of a, of a handgun this particular sequence we get him to see trying to uh, to build his own gun he's tried in the previous sequences to uh, un unsuccessfully to actually get a real one Sukamoto actually hired an advisor on the set, a gentleman named uh, Tetsuya Tsuda, who is uh, a writer and a kind of expert on uh, this uh, criminal underbelly of Tokyo. He's written several books on the subject. So he advised uh, Tsukamoto on, on how one would go about finding a gun and also how you would, uh, you would be able to build one yourself. The actual gun that he comes up with in this film looks looks quite elaborate, but he said that in in real life it would be uh, if you build your own gun it would look uh, much more much more simple. So that's some artistic license. A very interesting aspect of this film, I think, is the uh, the way it acknowledges the presence of foreigners in the streets of uh, of Tokyo. You saw that before in the scenes where he was uh, trying to, uh, to find a gun and he was actually going to all the foreigners thinking that that would be the best way to go about finding one. The presence, I mean, maybe, maybe we have the impression that uh, Tokyo is, uh, or Japan as a whole, is fairly a mono-ethnic country. But actually, if you, if you go to Tokyo, you'll see that, uh, quite a lot of foreigners in the streets in areas like Shibuya or Shinjuku and uh, the aforementioned Ikebukura, which is where much of the film is set. <laughs> the Japanese sometimes refer to these foreigners standing around on street corners as uh, Abunai Gaijin, which uh, loosely translated means uh, dangerous foreigner. In the Japanese films of the past 10 years, there's actually been uh, uh, something that's uh, a characteristic that's been more and more common, you know, to show the situation and the plight of, of foreigners in Japan. It used to be very rare back in the 70s and 60s. Uh, it was only some really daring filmmakers, independent filmmakers, who would use foreign characters who would use uh, or even let alone make films about uh, about foreigners in Japan. Uh, one example is Nagisa Oshima, the later director of Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence, who from quite early on uh, was uh, uh, quite concerned with uh, the plight of uh, Korean immigrants in, uh, in Japan. Is that these days it's it's much more common, and I think probably Takashi Miike is the best-known example of a director who very often focuses on uh, on foreigners in Japan. <laughs> Usually, though, that's that's limited to characters of uh, of Korean and Chinese uh, descent. For a very practical reason, uh, which is that uh, Koreans and Chinese can be played by Japanese actors. There are uh, very few uh, good foreign actors in Japan, uh, especially of, uh, of European, American or African origin. 
So it's difficult to get good actors for those kinds of parts. And quite often what you see happening in Japanese films is that if they need uh, someone from those that kind of background, they would just get somebody off the streets. And uh, obviously that's not always to the advantage of the, uh, of the performances. It works fine in bullet ballet though, because uh, in most cases the, uh, the parts that they play are very, very small. It doesn't have any strong effect on the, on the film as a whole, but th their presence is uh, undeniable. So Tsukamoto is uh, quite used to working with, uh, with inexperienced actors or non-actors. One of which is uh, the actress Kirina Mano, the lady you see here. Who, when she when she was cast by Tsukamoto, had, didn't have many film films to her credit. She was uh, a magazine model, and she had small parts in uh, Zogoishi's Labyrinth of Dreams, and in another film called Gakko Part Two, which is directed by uh, Yoji Yamada. You might know as the director of the recently Oscar-nominated Twilight Samurai. Tsukamoto said that he cast her for uh, the, the, the impression that her eyes made on him. There was a very strong um, power and energy exuding from, from her look, from her eyes. And I think in the, the scene we just saw him previously, that was, uh, he utilized that very, very well. Since Bullet Ballet, she hasn't been that active as an actress. Um, her biggest credit since then was actually not a Japanese film, but uh, Peter Greenaway's film, Eight and a Half Women. So here's a good example of uh, what I spoke about before with uh, a gang of young punks assaulting uh, a middle-aged uh, office worker. Those were the, uh, the typical targets for these kids that were running wild in the streets. Um, I don't pretend to know uh, their, uh, their exact motivations, but um, generally it's assumed that these, uh, these middle-aged office workers present represented something that these kids um, wanted to avoid as much as possible. Um, these were the men who were essentially their, their own fathers. Uh, these kids are a generation who grew up with fathers who were uh, office workers for the most part. Men who worked uh, from very early in the morning to very late at night, were never home for their, f for their own families, always, always working and always with their colleagues. and who worked very hard to uh, help uh, the reconstruction of Japan after World War II but, uh, and, and, the and help the, uh, the Japanese economy take off as it did. But of course the Japanese economy uh, virtually collapsed in the, in the early 90s. So all these people worked essentially for nothing. And that's something that the younger generation is very much aware of. So they feel that that's uh, something they um, might not necessarily uh, 
be doing themselves as they grow up. So it's a very strong rejection of, uh, of the example set by their parents. Here's another example of a scene that was shot without permission, where Chisato balances on the uh, on the edge of the platform as the as the train is about to pass. The way this was shot is um, they put the camera uh, quite far away from the platform for the shot of uh, of her actually leaning against the train, but. Uh, She's not actually standing against the train, she's standing several feet in front of the train. So there's quite a bit of space between her and the train in this particular shot. But since they use a telephoto lens and, and zoomed in a bit, that, that tends to flatten the image. It takes, uh, it takes away the impression of distance and depth. So it's look like, it looks like she's actually leaning against the train itself. And then they intercut that with a close-up of her boots scraping along the train. That actually were boots scraping along a, along a real train, but there was nobody in those boots, actually. Sukamoto's assistant director just held... Those boots were put on the end of two sticks. Sukamoto's assistant director held those against the train as it passed. And since it's just a close-up only of the boots, uh, you don't actually see anybody wearing those boots. So intercut that with the, uh, the wider shot of Kiyunamano in front of that train, and you get the impression that she is actually... Um, being hit, virtually hit by that train. That scene was also the first indication of uh, the fact that there is a difference between this group of young punks and uh, the character Kirina uh, Mano plays, uh, Chisato. She is somewhat different from the rest of them, and uh, Tsukamoto gave you, uh, gave you uh, the first impression of that in that previous scene. Um, for a good part visually, as uh, he he filmed all this group of punks in one shot and filmed, uh, shot Chisato uh, by herself in another shot, so he visually um, separated the two. And this is something that will, uh, will grow stronger and stronger as the uh, as the film goes on. So here again you see uh, Goda hassling uh, every foreigner he sees, hoping to find some way to, to get hold of a gun. <laughs> here we see Kazuki Izutsu's character again. This sequence that, uh, that starts here is a, a really good example of, uh, of how Tsukamoto uh, approached this idea of going into these back alleys and discovering unknown territory. As you can see here, he keeps the shots very, very narrow, which gives the impression wow. that uh, you know you don't know what's what is around the corner. Anything, wow. anything might happen, and in a moment. Uh, you will have something suddenly intrude from uh, from off screen, which really uh, emphasizes that impression.
this gentleman is uh, played by Koji Tsukamoto, who is the younger brother of the director. Koji made his uh, acting debut in uh, Tsukamoto's previous film, Tokyo Fist, in which he played a boxer, which is actually something he was in real life. And there you see suddenly the intrusion of something from off screen. So Tokyo Fist was uh, Koji Tsukamoto's official acting debut, but actually, uh, when uh, his brother was uh, his brother and he were teenagers, they were already making uh, short films on uh, on eight millimeter. And in most of those films, uh, Koji Tsukamoto was uh, was the lead actor. So their collaborations go back uh, quite a few years. He's since gone on to uh, a fairly prolific ca uh, career as an actor, Koji Tsukamoto. Um, though a lot of, uh, of the films he makes uh, are in the, uh, the, in the straight-to-video industry, V-Cinema. That scene of uh, Koji Tsukamoto and his friends uh, killing Izitsu's character um, it was actually longer in the original version of the film. There was a longer cut, uh, which was about 10 minutes longer than, uh, than the current version, which was shown in Japan two or three times. After which uh, Tsukamoto decided it was simply too long. So there is, uh, in the original version there is more about that, uh, that other group of punks led by Koji Tsukamoto, but since they don't have any uh, role to play in the, in the plot as a whole, he decided to cut that particular scene. This uh, sequence and the pr one just before are very interesting because they give you an indication of um, more of the, the personality, the psychology of these, uh, the members of these, these, this group of young punks. In fact, we learn that um, Goto, the, uh, the, young, the young leader of the, the group of punks, is actually himself uh, a salaryman, just uh, an office worker. And, um, Gradually throughout the film we get the impression that these kids are uh, not particularly driven by any true rebellion but are just trying to, you know, uh, go wild and, and uh, get rid of their frustrations before actually um, giving in and, and settling down into, uh, into a regular adult life. To them essentially this... Uh, this idea of delinquency and attacking uh, old guys in the streets, is, it's, it's just a game, it's looking for kicks. Which is a contrast with the character of, uh, of Goda and with the character of Chisato, because both of them are in it for real, they're, they're searching for something. They, uh, they have real self-destructive urges and through their self that self-destruction they hope to find something, some kind of answer. Exactly to what they're not sure of, but uh, for them it's real and, and to these punks it's a game. So there is a contrast between these two uh, parties, so to speak. Which is something that will become clearer and clearer in the film from this point onwards. Actually the, uh, the second half of the film focuses on uh, the difference between these, uh, these kids uh, on the one hand and Chisato and Goda on the other hand.
Here's the scene where uh, Tsukamoto's character is contacted by uh, the Filipina prostitute who was working for Izitsu's character. There is a, a phenomenon in Japan uh, which is referred to as the uh, Japayuki, which is um, a word used to describe uh, women from uh, the Philippines, Thailand and other Southeast Asian countries who come to Japan to work uh, mainly as prostitutes and in the sex industry. In the 1990s, it was actually estimated that there were uh, 100,000 uh, Filipina women working in the Japanese sex industry alone. And uh, well, suffice it to say that the situation is uh, far from a happy one, of course. Though it must be said that the official number of uh, uh, Filipinas in, in Japan as a whole um, is more like 10,000. So. That's a good indication of the, the confusion which exists, the, uh, the, the lack of clarity that exists in the, about the situation of these, of these women. A lot of them enter Japan on tourist visas, which of course are, uh, allow them only a limited stay. And in order for, uh, for them to be able to stay in Japan longer than that period, they... Uh, they need to find a Japanese man and, uh, and get married, essentially, to have a marriage of convenience, which is what uh, this particular scene was about. Here we have a scene that uh, has quite a few uh, clear similarities with uh, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver which is actually one of Tsukamoto's favorite films. What he's doing here, essentially, he's giving himself... Uh, he's giving himself pain. He's trying to fuel uh, sensations. He's trying to fuel his body, his own physicality. And, and I pointed out earlier, the, the central theme of Tsukamoto's films deals with the loss of this physicality and the loss of these sensations. So for Tsukamoto's character in this film, um, since he, he went through life kind of uh, numb, uh, not feeling anything, he also completely uh, missed seeing the fact that his girlfriend, uh, his longtime girlfriend, um, was miserable and uh, was about to uh, commit suicide. So his motivation in this film is to, on the one hand, punish himself for for not seeing it, and on the other hand, trying to find to find some kind of explanation for what motivated his girlfriend. And he thinks that by by putting himself through similar situations, by buying the same gun, etc., he will he will in some ways come closer to what she was feeling and thinking. The character of Idei, the club owner here in, in the center, uh, is played by another non-actor who, uh, whose name is Tatsuya Nakamura. In fact, his uh, regular occupation is a musician. He's a, a drummer in uh, a rock band, uh, a rock band called Blanky Jet City. 
He also used to be the drummer of a, a Japanese, a major Japanese punk band called Stalin, who were kind of the Japanese equivalent of, uh, uh, say, the Sex Pistols. So what the Sex Pistols were to uh, to uh, UK punk, they were to Jap- Japanese punk. They were kind of the the spearheads of the uh, of the movement in Japan. Bullet Ballet was his first acting part, and uh, the reasons behind uh, his casting are actually quite interesting. Tsukamoto says that uh, whenever he starts on a new project or has an idea for a film that he wants to do, the first thing he does is uh, make a kind of scrapbook. Uh, He cuts out pictures and collects images that sort of communicate the mood and the atmosphere and the theme that he wants to express in that film. Uh, For Bullet Ballet, one of the main images he had was a photograph of Tatsuya Nakamura, uh, whose attitude and look is very... uh, very rock and roll and, uh, with the leather and the tattoos and uh, etc. So at some point he thought, well, if this guy represents what I want to express, why not cast him in the film? And this is what happened. Uh, Nakamura has not been very active as an actor since. He's concentrated on his, uh, his music career. He was in a... Uh, documentary about the uh, Tokyo punk rock scene uh, called 696 Traveling High and he later also played uh, another club owner in the the very trendy and somewhat punkish uh, TV series uh, Mike Yokohama starring Masatoshi Nagase This is the big battle scene between uh, the two rival punk gangs. And, uh, you, was, you saw before in the, um, the build-up to the scene that uh, Goto and the gang did not want Shisato to take part in it. They wanted her to just wait in the car. And she just ignored them and uh, grabbed a stick and went into battle uh, first, before them even. So with that we're starting to see how Shisato is clearly taking a, a different path from these other guys. I think after after seeing Goto in his uh, in his suit, his business suit, she is very well aware that she and these kids are very different from her. And she is also portrayed, I think, as being much uh, stronger than they are. Definitely much stronger than they uh, than they give her credit for. Which is very much typical for. Uh, the way uh, Tsukamoto portrays uh, women in his films, he tends to show them as very uh, strong characters who uh, go their own way, indifferent of what uh, what the men th- the men think of them. Tokyo Fist was the first, the first, and probably the best example of that. And, uh, he's he's essentially repeated repeated that pattern in, in every film since. And, also in Gemini and probably Snake of June is, uh, is an uh, excellent example of that since it revolves around a female character. In this battle scene you uh, really get to see uh, how effectively Tsukamoto used all these, all these um, dark uh, back streets and these, all these alleyway locations. 
actually the film was shot in uh, in several different parts of Tokyo, including this uh, this whole sequence. So it's, it's a composite of, uh, of different areas. Including the aforementioned Ikebukuro, also in uh, the area of Shibuya, uh, and also in Ginza. Uh, when I first found out that they had used Ginza, I was quite surprised because the image of Ginza is one of uh, uh, like a sophisticated high street area where only the, the richest people of, uh, of Japan shop. But actually, the area also has many alleyways and, and little, little dark streets which are. Uh, behind all these all these uh, main main shopping alleys for all of these locations again Tsukamoto asked uh, official permission from the authorities and uh, everyone you see in these scenes even in the background are uh, are extras and actors which were hired for the shooting of these scenes Tsukamoto did say that uh, from time to time uh, passers-by would, uh, would happen to, uh, to walk into the shot and would see what, uh, what was going on, these kids beating each other up and would, would be actually quite shocked to, to find that out. Actually, of course they didn't, had no idea that there was a, a film being shot. Here again, we're going to get an indication of uh, how all these young kids are uh, are in this this in this activity of, uh, of violence and juvenile delinquency just as a game. And they're not really aware of uh, of the true impact of violence and pain and death. See, this kid was now actually really hurt by uh, with a bullet in the leg, and he's lying on the ground crying. So essentially, for the first time, he's really understanding what it means to uh, to feel pain. So the fact that they are looking for kicks indicates that uh, they don't they don't feel any sensations in their day-to-day life. Bullet ballet, I feel, forms a kind of uh, widening of uh, Tsukamoto's perspective as a, as a filmmaker and as an artist. This whole idea of the existence of this underbelly of Tokyo and, and the world even of uh, the world of youth was never present in his films before. Um, he always tended to deal very clearly with this separation of uh, sterile life and uh, the discovery of... Uh, a kind of self-discovery of a of fe- uh, a feeling of sensation of physicality within yourself. So he tended to portray the entire city of Tokyo as, as being this very sterile, uh, numb uh, area. So this is the first time it, it acknowledges the existence of uh, of a more uh, down-to-earth uh, physical 
parts of the city. So the film acknowledges many things which Tsukamoto uh, never talked about before, and maybe most of all the fact that Tsukamoto himself is getting older, that he's not uh, a young man anymore. There is a generation after him who are already, already on, the, on the verge of, uh, of maturity themselves. And that he, he has gone on further, he is older, he is in his, uh, essentially, uh, he is a middle-aged man now. I've spoken about Tsukamoto's um, habit of casting uh, non-actors and newcomers. That's very much true in Bullet Ballet. Uh, the actor who plays the character of Goto, uh, Takehiro uh, Murase, here he is. Uh, like all the uh, the actors who play the, the gang of young punks, they're all newcomers, uh, which Tsukamoto found through by way of an audition. Most of them also have not really gone on to uh, to acting careers. A few of them appeared in uh, Tsukamoto's film uh, Snake of June later on, in very small parts. There's only one exception, which is uh, a young actor called Masato Tsujioka, who plays one of the uh, one of the members of the gang, who has been quite a pro quite prolific as an actor since he was in. Uh, Teruo Ishii's film uh, Blind Beast vs. Dwarf, in which also Tsukamoto was uh, was an actor. He was also in uh, Shion Sono's film Suicide Club. And he worked again with Tsukamoto on The Snake of June and uh, Vital. Tsujiaka recently also directed his first film, uh, a film entitled Lost by Dead, which he did very much in Tsukamoto fashion, uh, which essentially means doing everything by himself. I'll point out Tsujioka later on when he's uh, on screen again. His Tsukamoto's philosophies behind casting uh, non-actors is something um, that points more towards uh, wanting to find someone who he feels can uh, embody the character rather than someone who, uh, who is able to act the character. Uh, he is look, he's looking for people whose, whose attitude, whose look, uh, communicates uh, the spirit of the character. Yeah. So Kirin Amano is a, is a good example where uh, he went for the impression her face and her eyes made, which um, fit very well with, this, uh, with the character of Chisato, who is uh, uh, stronger than, than all these guys she, she hangs out with. This lady is uh, one major exception to that rule. Uh, her name is Kyoka Suzuki, playing uh, the girlfriend of Tsukamoto's character in the, in the flashback. She is actually very, very famous in Japan, uh, mainly as a result of her uh, appearances in, in TV, TV series. She's been quite prolific as a, as a TV actress. She and Tsukamoto were uh, 
actually in the same film uh, a few years before this one, uh, a film called Quiet Days of Firemen, which was directed by Naoto Takenaka, who, as an actor, has also been in several Tsukamoto films, including Tokyo Fist and Gemini. So, as you can see, Japanese cinema is quite a, quite a small world. This scene shows uh, the character of Goda essentially at his at his lowest ebb in the entire film. He's been immersing himself in pain and destruction, hoping to understand what motivated his girlfriend, but he still hasn't hasn't found it out. As, uh, as Goto said to him in the, in the previous scene, uh, Goda is far too uh, far too self-centered to understand another person's motivation. And this whole search for a reason, uh, search for motivation, is actually something that will play uh, less and less of a role as the film continues from this point onwards. Uh, his character starts to find something else, uh, which actually f is not an answer to his problems, but he finds a completely different way uh, to move forward and to deal with what happened. So you could, in a sense, say that this search for uh, a motivation is uh, the film's MacGuffin. Is, uh, that seems to be the subject, but as the film goes on, you realize that it's not, and the film is actually about something else. to see the increasing uh, linking the film does between the characters of Chisato and, and Goda. Both know that they are different from, uh, from these punks and both increasingly understand that they are similar to each other. And that's only going to get stronger uh, in, uh, in the film from this point onwards. So at this point, uh, the gang has gotten hold of uh, Goda's gun and is using it to terrorize uh, the neighborhood. The gun actually plays a kind of uh, double role in the film. Uh, at first sight, it seems to give uh, the bearer the power of destruction. It's, um, it seems a, uh, uh, an, an object of, uh, of, of power, of might. And for Goda, it's the object that he sort of projects his, uh, his obsessions on. But gradually we start to see that... Um, this, by the way, is Masato Tsujioka. Uh, gradually from this point onwards, we get to see that it doesn't... The gun, use of a gun doesn't do anything at all for the person who uses it. That's not necessarily a, a, a moralist stance that the film has, like uh, some kind of warning about uh, the use of firearms, but... 
what it implies is uh, simply the fact that the solutions for the for the protagonists in the film lie elsewhere, not in using a gun and not in creating destruction. Which is what we see in the uh, in the change that happens in in uh, in Goda's character, who has now come to the same realization. Actually, the way forward he finds through the character of uh, Chisato, who essentially f her saving her, uh, essentially will form his uh, salvation, shall we say? He already saved her life in the in the big battle scene uh, a few sequences earlier, so he's beginning to act like a kind of uh, guardian angel to her. And inversely, for Chisato, her she was going. To, she's going to find out that her way forward also lies with Goda. So, hence all the uh, the visual linking that's going on between the two of the, the two of them. Also, through this uh, this scar that they both have, this wound that they both have on the, on their hands, which is uh, completely identical. These bite wounds, these bite wounds that they gave to each other. Here you can see it very clearly. Chisato has lured, lured uh, Goda out of his apartment and she has uh, entered it to find out more about him. And in those shots of Chisato in his apartment, you get an impression of what that apartment is like. It's a very uh, sterile, very clean uh, space of concrete walls, etc. Which is something of a recurring motif in Tsukamoto's films, as it symbolizes this idea of the, of the sterile uh, city life. You can find uh, similar locations in, in Tokyo Fist and Tetsuo 2 and also in Snake of June. Usually these are apartments which are perfectly perfectly kept with with absolutely no signs of life in them. The cop on the bicycle here is played by uh, Tomoro Taguchi, uh, who was of course the uh, main actor of uh, the two Tetsuo films and who is a regular collaborator of, uh, of Tsukamoto's. Their work together goes back even before Tetsuo, several years before Tetsuo, uh, to the mid-80s when uh, both of them were doing experimental theatre. <laughs> 
He also featured in the two short films which took him out of shot before Tetsuro, uh, The Phantom of Regular Size and uh, The Adventure of Denshu Koza, both of which were uh, the films in which Tukamoto established uh, his now trademark style. They've kept a very close working relationship, as you can see. Um, Taguchi appears in nearly every film Tsukamoto has made since. And for him, uh, there's probably a great sense of loyalty for Taguchi uh, towards Tsukamoto. Because Tetsuo was uh, the beginning of his career as an actor. Before that, he was uh, a singer in a, in a punk band called Bachi Kaburi. His music was uh, very theatrical, they were not a, a, a typical punk band. His, his vocal performances were very uh, uh, theatrical, very using different voices, etc. But uh, from Tetsuo onwards, which was 1989, he has been very, very active as, a, as an actor. I mean, to call him prolific would be an understatement since he makes about 17 or 18 films a year. And uh, if you've seen any Japanese films of, uh, of the past few years, then you are bound to have seen him uh, numerous times. Because he pops up everywhere in a, in a huge variety of films, from very low-budget cult horror movies to very respectable um, films like Shohei Imamura's The Eel. So he is all over the place and uh, he has very distinctive features but at the same time he also has a very chameleonic uh, ability. He generally tends to play very supporting roles. Um, he had a quite a big role, one of the biggest roles he had was in uh, Takashi Mika's Rainy Dog where he was the uh, antagonist who uh, show Aiko as main character. And the one lead role he had was in a film called uh, Mask the 4-1. Uh, an odd title, but he played in uh, a middle-aged salaryman going to a midlife crisis who decides that uh, his passion for uh, professional wrestling is something he should be pursuing more actively. And uh, then decides to become a wrestler himself. Uh, at the at the same time as his family is crumbling uh, around him. And with that film he really showed that he is definitely able to carry a film as an actor. This chase scene is uh, truly excellent I think because it gets across this sense of these very labyrinth labyrinthine alleyways which are so narrow that they hardly count as streets anymore almost like cracks in the walls again it's a it's a composite of different areas of course but uh, you really get the idea of being totally lost in this in this part of a city that you never knew existed before the scene is also very interesting because it's actually a chase scene in which people really get tired it's a very obvious thing, but somehow in most films people don't get tired after long chase sequences.
Tsukamoto has blended all these all this this composition of different locations uh, very very well I think um, there is a definite uh, unity and cohesion to all these uh, different areas that he shot in and I think to a large extent that's uh, the result of uh, the cinematography uh, the black and white uh, definitely helps create a sort of uh, unity in the, in, in the visual image Tsukamoto is the uh, director of photography on, on all his own films. In fact, I would go so far as to say that his talents as a cinematographer um, are just as good as his talents as a, purely as a director, meaning that uh, he is one of the best directors of photography in Japan at the moment. Bullet Ballet is a great example of that. And, uh, film that followed it, Gemini, uh, whose, vi whose visuals are uh, the complete opposite, meaning uh, very strongly colored and very uh, tinted with lots of uh, playing with different colors of lights, different shades of light. And also the film he made after that again, uh, Snake of June, which is again in black and white but actually tinted blue. Those are some true testaments to his uh, abilities as a uh, director of photography. Tsukamoto has said though that he uh, can never, could never work as a director of photography for another, for another director. He's probably too, uh, far too independent and far too strong-willed to, uh, to bend his talents uh, to suit the need to, uh, of another director. Though he does quite often appear as an actor in other directors' films. Here again you get a very fascinating expression of this idea that people who live in the city are kind of hungry for uh, the sense of, uh, of physicality to have some kind of confrontation with death because they normally don't get that. You see this whole crowd, you know, uh, thronging around this, this ambulance uh, hoping to catch a glimpse of a dead body. So in a sense, all these people are exactly the same as, uh, as the film's protagonist. Death is something that they normally are not confronted with. So when it's suddenly in front of them, it's uh, hugely fascinating. That scene with the ambulance, by the way, everybody in that shot was, a, was, an, uh, was an extra. That was not shot wild. Now is a very important moment in the film. Um, we see, get to see the impact that uh, Chisato has on, on Goda. Uh, what the film does at this point is it replicates the scene, the, the opening scene of the film. If you remember, it was uh, a scene in which uh, uh, Goda's girlfriend uh, hummed a song to him over the telephone just as he was returning home. And only, he, of course, he returned home only to find that she had just then committed suicide. So what we see now is uh, he is again uh, outside 
on the phone, in this case with Chisato, and again she is humming a tune to him. So obviously Goda is reminded of that moment, and he suddenly rushes home, thinking that uh, Chisato, who is, of course has uh, self-destructive urges, is also going to commit suicide again in his apartment. So essentially, at this point, Chisato, for that uh, scene, she has uh, taken uh, the place of uh, Goda's girlfriend. I mean, she was she was in his apartment, even even wearing some of her, uh, some of her, his girlfriend's clothes. And so, the replication of that situation is what finally prompts uh, Goda uh, to find his answer, to find his way forward, which is that. He shouldn't be out there looking for destruction, hoping to understand something that he never will understand. Instead, he realizes that he should make sure that in the future the same situation does not happen again, that he does not let um, something slip by under his nose, that the people around him uh, are not do not go down in misery and in, and in pain and perhaps death. And he is not, doesn't realize that this is happening to them. So it's a kind of uh, awakening, a realization in him. You might call it uh, redemption in a way, but I feel that the word redemption is uh, too much of a loaded Christian term to be used on, uh, to be used lightly anyway on a, on a Japanese film. So we've just seen two of the two members of the gang of punks who were uh, found dead outside in the, in the streets. And this is where the, uh, the build-up to uh, the grand finale uh, begins. And which is where we get to see how the use of a gun um, backfires on, on the person who uses it, uh, no, no pun intended. As we've seen earlier, it was Goto who finally decided to use the gun on his uh, friend, the boxer. Uh, he thought first to use it on uh, on the cop, played by Tomoro Toguchi, but instead he decided to use it on his friend. So why did he ch decide to use it on his friend? Well, essentially, his friend represented everything that he lacked. Um, his friend was uh, a young man of his generation with with goals and ambitions and a clear path for the future for himself. And uh, Goto has nothing of that. So seeing his friend essentially uh, confronts him, uh, confronts Goto with his own insecurities and his own shortcomings. Hence his decision to, uh, to kill him rather than actually facing his own shortcomings. And we see now, in the build-up to the finale, that someone is coming to uh, take revenge for the shooting of that young man.
So now it's by this point it's definitely established that there is a link between Goda and Chisato that they feel close. I mean for, for Goda it's already completely clear because Chisato has shown him a way forward. And uh, vice versa, the same thing is happening at the moment. Chisato is moving beyond her self-destructive urges. She's come to him to ask for his protection because she knows that she too will be a target of the whoever it is that's taking revenge for the death of the boxer. So she's helped Koda find a path forward and his protection of her does the same Why? thing for Chisato. And in this scene she uh, finally owes up to the fact which she is doing which she is doing here that all of her self-destruction came from an from a total confusion uh, having no idea of where to go in the future having absolutely no prospects for herself <laughs> and I think that ties in uh, very strongly with uh, what I mentioned earlier that this generation of uh, of kids has absolutely no use for the example set by their parents uh, because it's an example that they've seen completely fail before their eyes. It's an example that has only brought uh, misery to their families and an example that didn't have any, any purpose in the end. And I think that's very much true for, uh, for Japanese society at the moment for this generation of young people. Nobody seems to have any any solution, any alternative. So you see two uh, kind of phenomena. One is that uh, the violent rejection of that example, which is what you see happening in this film. And on the other hand, the just simply, you know, for lack of having any alternative, just simply uh, going along with it. Uh, taking a job in an office and uh, just uh, conforming the, uh, to things they might dislike but they have no idea what, what else to do so I feel there is absolutely no doubt about uh, the social relevance of, of uh, Tsukamoto's work the social relevance of Bulabala in particular but his work in general as well he is uh, very much a, a commentator and an observer on uh, on Japanese society and um, since Japanese society does not exist in a vacuum and a lot of its problems also exist in other parts of the world I think the the value of Tsukamoto's films also go far beyond just uh, the borders of Japan there was a wonderful shot just before this uh, when they were on the rooftop and uh, there was a cutaway to all these high school students uh, sitting in a classroom working hard on, uh, supposedly working hard on, uh, on their futures. Even though that future is, uh, for many of them, is probably quite uncertain. Which is a nice, uh, which is a really nice idea because the shot cutting away to that expresses, I think, two things. It's a very ambivalent shot and expresses both doubt but also at the same time hope. So there might be a way forward, but at the same time, uh, that way forward is not clear for, uh, for anyone. And I think that ambivalence, the fact that there is a lot of ambivalence, um, is quite characteristic of uh, Tsukamoto's work.
there is no simple black and white solutions. There are a lot of grey areas in, uh, in Tsukamoto's films. Also, you might have noticed that uh, even though Goda and Chisato are now very close and their destinies are linked, there is no uh, romantic subplot. There is no romantic connection between the two of them. Which is something that maybe would be obvious in, uh, let's say, uh, an American film or a Hollywood film. But I think throughout Bullet Ballet, the two characters and their relationship has been defined uh, on different terms. Which is their search for a goal that uh, they don't even know themselves. And also the fact that they belong to two different groups. I mean, the two of them are linked, but they are very clearly different, and uh, which is where... Tsukamoto's realization of his age comes into play. And I think for Goda as well, there is a realization that they are two completely different generations with different outlooks. So at no point in the story was there any uh, reason or motivation for a romantic subplot between the two of them. It must be said, however, that Tsukamoto's original idea for Bullet Ballet involved uh, a strong element of, uh, of eroticism. He meant for Bullet Ballet to contain an element of, of eroticism. Um, actually, uh, he has long since wanted to make an erotic film. He says that even Tetsuo was made with that idea in mind, but that the film naturally evolved into something else. There is certainly a clear element of eroticism in Tetsuo, but it's not uh, the central theme, it's not the central subject. What made him change his mind for Bullet Ballet, uh, Tsukamoto says that it was meeting the actress Kirin Amano in real life. He felt that uh, she wasn't the right type for, uh, for a film that contained a lot of eroticism. Which is very, very interesting because it means that he uh, is prepared to fundament fundamentally change his film based on a chance meeting. I mean, he... Um, He was prepared to change the film to suit the actress rather than to change the actress to suit the film. So that means that Kiran Amano must have made a really, really strong impression on him when, when he met her. And it must be said that uh, both Bullet Ballet in, in its final form and Kiran Amano in it are uh, hugely impressive. So now begins the uh, the big finale, and we see that uh, on uh, at Chisato's request, Goda has joined the gang of punks that were previously previously his enemies, and has decided to actually protect them from this mysterious assailant. If you're wondering why he does that, well, remember what I pointed out earlier that um, his moment of enlightenment was the realization that he would never again let people die under his nose, that if he realized, he would try to realize as much as possible what was uh, troubling the people around him, and that he would never again let it just let uh, people just slip into, uh, slip down into, into depression and even death right under his nose. So that's exactly what he's doing right now. Uh, in a way that's, uh, that's helping Chisato herself but it's also uh, he's sticking to this this principle this realization uh, 
very, very closely. I think also another motivation for uh, his reason to help them is that he realizes that these kids are not evil. I mean, they, they are kids play, playing games, and um, it's shown in several moments earlier that um, probably at some points they're going to get tired of these games and they're going to lead a different life. So if Goda can save them uh, in this situation, uh, they might eventually still turn out okay. get to rea we now realize that um, the mysterious assailant is in fact uh, the young boxer's father coming for revenge and this is where the earlier scene of him talking about growing up after the war uh, comes back into play um, you remember that I talked about the, this idea of uh, uh, the difference between the young generation and uh, the generation before them who were naturally uh, tougher who were constantly uh, fighting to survive because they were in a situation of total poverty of a uh, city that was completely in ruins of course after World War II Tokyo was a ruin because it was bombed several times by the Americans during the war and there was a widespread famine there were uh, uh, lots of black markets lots of black market acti activity etc so he survived through that, and of course he is much tougher than all of them, of these young kids combined. And right here you see absolutely the perfect expression of that. I mean, he just simply shrugs off these bullet wounds. Uh, he runs out of bullets, but he just goes hand to hand, he gets the gun and just beats these kids up. It is so clear that he is much tougher and has to doesn't have to do any doesn't have to make any effort to overwhelm them. There's uh, quite simply no match for him. The actor who plays this character is another uh, exception to uh, to the rule of uh, Tsukamoto's casting non-actors. He is a man who is very experienced. In fact, um, his career goes back to the late 1950s. Um, his name is Hisashi Igawa. And uh, to show you some of the films he's been in, he's worked numerous times with uh, Akira Kurosawa. Uh, particularly on his later period films, starting with uh, Dodeska Den. He was also in uh, Run, in Dreams, and in Rhapsody in August. A few other films he's been in uh, are uh, Chuzo Itami's uh, Tampopo and uh, Takeshi Kitano's Boiling Point. So in that final confrontation, there were uh, it was one against six, and uh, th three of those six have not survived. What's interesting is that the three that have survived were the three characters who had found some had some inkling of uh, an idea how to move forward into the future. The other three, as you will have seen. Um, went into that confrontation like they would have gone into any other street fight, meaning they, they doped themselves up, themselves up and went for the kicks. 
Whereas the other three, the three uh, survivors you see here, were gen uh, genuinely anxious, simply because they they feared for their lives and um, felt that there was something to lose for them. Again, I don't think this is a question of uh, of morals. It's not a not a moralist film. I think but the point is that the characters realize that they need to move on and that they leave, need to leave this search for death and destruction and pain behind them. The fact that uh, Goto here is, is genuinely crying tears is very, very important in that, in that respect. Because he feels grief, he is showing emotion, uh, genuine emotions. So he too has come to uh, a somewhat higher level of uh, awareness of himself and his position. So as you have seen, this film is very much concerned with um, the lives of uh, fairly ordinary people in uh, in today's society which is actually uh, true for for the the majority of Tsukamoto's films and uh, but the funny thing is that he is still today seen as a a cyberpunk filmmaker a science fiction cyberpunk filmmaker based on his two Tetsuo films But ever since the two Tetsuo films, uh, which means since uh, 1992, he hasn't made anything uh, remotely resembling cyberpunk or science fiction. And has instead focused on uh, much more immediate uh, subjects uh, is, uh, taken from his own surroundings. So it's kind of odd that he's still being seen as uh, the cyberpunk filmmaker, certainly not representative for his work anymore, but uh, I guess it is a kind of testament to the impact that uh, the two Tetsuo films made, especially the first one, uh, when they first came out. It's certainly true that the, the first Tetsuo film was a major turning point uh, for many people and for Japanese cinema in general, as it was one of the first films first Japanese films for a very long time to actually travel abroad and be shown to and appreciated by foreign audiences. At that point Japanese cinema was uh, virtually dead in the water. And as far as the West was concerned it didn't even exist anymore. So Tetsuo was one of the one of the main films that helped change that situation. So it's quite logical that people will uh, always remember Tsukamoto for Tetsuo. It's very beautiful final shot. You get to see that uh, the two main characters are finally leaving, literally leaving the darkness behind. As you see, they're now absolutely engulfed in light. It's a shot in the morning with the rising sun. And they're literally running headlong into their own futures, liberated and, uh, and free of uh, their, their former worries and concerns. It's a very, very beautiful final shot, I think. So that was Bullet Ballet, 
thanks for watching and thanks for listening and uh, I hope to be speaking to you again on another Arts Magic DVD commentary. See you soon. Bye bye.